Welcome back to Three Black Dots with Dr. Tiffany, Dr. Karen, and Dr. Zanetta. All right, so we are back with Jamil Rivers. Hi. Um, <laughs> it's my virtual back to school cocktail. Hey, yes. She's cocktail the only baby. one who succeeded Cheers. this week. Cheers. I survived. <laughs> I'm not claiming the mantle, and Dr. Z already said I, I failed. So. <laughs> so I failed. So you got that there. Yeah. Um, so we, we, I mean, you covered a whole lot. Like we were saying, you pretty much did our work for us, which is wow. why we all have snacks now. You know, my great grandmother was a nurse. <laughs> and my that? mom, I said, my great grandmother was a nurse and my mom is a dentist. So maybe right. we'll see, you know. Wait, your great grandmother yeah. was a nurse? Was a nurse? Mm-hmm. Your great grandmother. Great grandmother. Oh, wow. Fascinating. <laughs> Where'd she work? In Philly. Oh, they allow black folk to touch other people, huh? Mm, I don't. I don't okay. <laughs> I'm like, sure. I wasn't there. I'm, this is just what they told just me. Saying. Right. I'm sure they have a lot segregated. I know uh, it's not good, but still. <laughs> so there. Well, yeah. so there was a whole lot, you know, that you touched on, and so much that I I still want to kind of get to, and. It's usually not our style to ask questions, questions, because mm-hmm. we just kind of like to talk and, and see where we go. But there are a few things that I do want to want us to hit and I'm going to just put them out there and then like we'll see how they go. So the one okay. thing I would really like to, to hear from you about is, you know, um, this is shifting gears a little bit, but talking about your support system. Right. Because mm. we talk a lot about needing to have a community, needing to be open with your family and your Mm -hmm. friends about what is going on and letting other people support you. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear about from you, what are ways that you think people Mm. um, who, who, uh, you know, have a loved one that's diagnosed can offer support Mm -hmm. and how you open up to your family, you know, and, and let people know and let people in. Yep. Um, and even maybe a little bit about how you manage with your kids and, yeah. you know, how you manage to tell them. Cause now, as you mentioned in the mm-hmm. first half hour, both yes. of your parents had cancer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm going like, to back and snack on this one. Is, okay. On that is mind-boggling. So it I is mind-boggling. I, I, I would didn't love even, to hear it, about it, that. It was, it was just not even conceivable. It's not conceivable. Me. And it's, it's not, I mean, it's just so rough, you know, for your kids mm-hmm. to have both yeah. parents. So um, best way to provide support to someone um, that is going through, um, you know, a cancer experience or journey um, with the cancer diagnosis is one, I would say, don't try to come in and save the day and be a fixer, right? Um, be present, listen, and really assess what their needs are. So that way you can you know, really just kind of be there, have that conversation, find out what's on their to-do list and what's kind of weighing on them, right? And then you can kind of hear and come up with different opportunities on how you can support them and ask them, you know, can I do this for you? Would this help if I did this? Um, But really just being present, being available, listening, not trying to um, give them uh, cancer theories or what you've read about, 
<laughs> this, that, and the third about what they should be doing and what they should be eating yes. or, you know, all that type of stuff. Like, well, you know, you need to have an alkaline diet. Like, nobody. <laughs> Everyone becomes people. a cancer right. doctor. What was it that you said? Thing. Like, eat, yeah. drinking or eating uh, fruits? Or what was it that you talked about, Zanetta? Somebody coming in talking about? I don't remember. Oh, oh which uh, time? Someone with uh, Yeah, carrot the carrot juice. juice and all kind of stuff. You <laughs> the know, carrot like, juice. Came in orange. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I keep you not orange. Wow. Hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, just be present. Don't feel Love like that. you have to give them a whole cancer rundown or cancer lecture or any of that. Mm. Just be present. You know, understand that what you think you know, you don't really know just because you saw it on the news or your grandma yes. had cancer or your neighbor down the street had cancer. Yes. It is so based off of the individual. So just be present, be there. Don't be hashtag that. Just be present. Just yeah. be present. present. Everybody's present. journey is different. Yes. Mm. And there's different ways. You know, if, if that person has on their list, that they have to help with homework or do the dishes, or maybe they're having, um, you know, their skin is itchy. Give them like some, um, maybe like a kit or some soap where it's not as itchy, doesn't have as many irritants in it, you know, lotions that can maybe help with some of the side effects that they're experiencing. Do the dishes for them, you know, walk the dog, just wipe off their list. Just <laughs> yes. do the dishes, you know, because- y'all. Whenever I read articles, you know, from patients about this concept of people saying, well, call me, you know, let me know what I can do. Call me if you need anything. And they're like, yes. Well, now you want them to do more work. They already had a job dealing with cancer. Right. You really want to be present, right? Be there. Call. I'm about to jump up, Z. I'm about to jump up. (laughs) Out the seat. So so I'm sitting like this with my hands on my knees just so I won't. Just so I can stay still. It is an interesting balance because (laughs) you don't want to just intrude yourself on people, right? But you also don't want to put the burden on them to reach out to you. So that's why I said just check in. Just check in, um, just talk to them, see what they're going through, what's weighing on them, what's on their to-do list, right? What are they worried about? And then you can kind of just say, you know what? I'm here, I'm available, or just come up with suggestions. Can I do this for you? And ask, you know? And most of the time they're going to be like, oh yeah, that'd be really helpful, you know? Um, And then when it came to my kids, I actually um, received some books from Living Beyond Breast Cancer for all of their different ages. Um, and use those books to kind of explain to them what breast cancer was. Um, because when my husband went through it, they were still babies, you know, <laughs> so they didn't really um, see it. And he didn't have to go through chemotherapy because it was just stage one. So he didn't lose his hair or anything. He just had to have surgery. Um, and it was a really involved surgery because it was colon cancer. But, you know, they pretty much didn't really, they weren't privy to any of that. So with me, of course, I'm losing my hair. I'm, you know, I'm like going through a total life change. And so I had to definitely tell them what was going on and, you know, explain to them that it wasn't something that they could get for me, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Explaining to them what cancer was, what it Mm -hmm. means and, you know, why mommy's hair is gone, you know, um, and why it's right. And I tried to protect them from it a little bit. I was wearing wigs around the house and everything. And my five-year-old came into the room and said, mommy, I know you're wearing a wig. I'm not leaving the room until you take the wig off. 
Wow. And I said, okay. And I was just so scared about traumatizing yeah. them. And, you oh. know, they were really resilient. And so I'm mm-hmm. seeing like the people, I meet a lot of researchers, of course, in my work, now, in my, my advocacy work. Um, and they always talk about their personal experiences with cancer. And I'm seeing what my kids are now developing into these compassionate, empathetic, curious people. Wow interested in research and cancer and what it does. And I'm like, oh, they're going to be like these amazing little individuals yes. when they, you know, when they, yes. when they get older. How old are um, they? No doubt. Uh, seven, nine and 19. Wow. And, so they're <laughs> young and still able to empathize. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yes. And, and I will say, I watched your interview on Good Morning America. Oh, wow. And yeah. your kids were amazing. <laughs> I mean, they, they really, really were so um, still so caring, just so curious, yeah. compassionate. They care about other people. And I'm like, man, you know, I don't consider cancer a gift, but I'm like, I do feel like this is a path that they were meant to be on, on who they're supposed to, you know, um, develop and turn into when they get older. So, wow. so, so Jamil, you give out so much and mm-hmm. you're so free, freely giving advice and mm-hmm. support but who is the person mm. that that <laughs> that supports you and that encourages you? Mm. Well, I definitely feel like it's reciprocal with um, the other uh, people that I know that are impacted by breast cancer, um, people that have been living with breast cancer for quite some time, whether it's early stage or metastatic. Um, the different organizations that I work with, I think that they understand that I'm an advocate, but they also keep in mind that I have a cancer diagnosis as well. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate that about them because it's almost as if like we're nurturing and caring for each other. Um, And so me, I'm one of those people when I was diagnosed because I was a caregiver for so long, I didn't want my family to kind of have that trauma or be inundated. I wanted their normal day-to-day life to stay the same. And so I took advantage of all the support possibly known to man, whether or not if I needed it or not. <laughs> Just like I might, I might need it. So let me try it, you know. Mm. Um, and so I definitely say just overdose on support. If somebody's offering you some support, go ahead and take it. Overdose on yeah. support. I like overdose that. Overdose on support. Overdose yeah. on support. And I think that's a challenge, I think, for, for black women oh, in yeah. particular, where we always again we have this cape we want to wear our capes when we do mm-hmm. this woman thing and we don't yeah. have to so i love right. that overdose on support yeah. and then this goes back to a concept that i think three black docs often talk about is this concept of community yes. and your community mm-hmm. doesn't just have to be your neighbors you know first right. to the left first to the right <laughs> you can have a virtual community you can have a mm-hmm. community of other people and yep. this is really really important information mm-hmm. so but I think one of the challenges, particularly amongst Black folks, is that we oftentimes don't want to talk about stuff that's going on. Oh, so yeah. tell me a little bit about how yeah. you've been able to overcome some of that. And so for me, I thought it was really important just because of my experience with interacting with other Black women with breast cancer and even non-diagnosed. You know, I feel like it's important for them to understand their family history because, again, big inequities issue you know, Black women, when we're going to the OBGYN, when we're getting our reproductive health or breast health, we're not hearing about knowing your family history, genetic testing, or any of that, right? So I feel like in order for us to disrupt some of these disparities, we have to get to the non-diagnosed 
Black women as well. So I definitely am, am involved with explaining to them, understanding their history, how to role play and have those conversations, you know, because we have in our community, sometimes that's uncomfortable where we're really, really private and we don't want anybody in our business. But I do feel I felt like it was important. Now, mind you, that when I was diagnosed, I didn't disclose to my job the first year. Right. Because I had just started that job. I didn't you know, know if I was eligible for FMLA. Right. And, you know, I'm holding my family down. But then it was, you know, I do feel that it's important to share my story so that people understand, yes, Black women do get breast cancer. Yes, Black breast cancer is just a completely different animal. And you know what? It's important for us to prioritize and invest in in Black health and Black wellness. And so there's nothing wrong with that. And you bring up a good point, though, because, I mean, People look at Chadwick Boseman, you know, mm-hmm. who recently, unfortunately, we lost him to, yeah. to colorectal cancer. Um, and they were like, well, he didn't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. But that's his personal choice, right? Yeah. And his right. people, he still had a support network. So, again, mm-hmm. there's two different things. You don't necessarily have to tell all your business to the people right. you work with, yeah. right? And mm-hmm. he made that conscious decision, likely because it may have impacted his ability to get certain roles. And, yep. and he was trying to live his best life, knowing mm-hmm. that he had metastatic colon, exactly. colon cancer. And the difference is, you know, for breast cancer, we know that women can live for decades yeah. with metastatic breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Colorectal cancer being a little bit different, where mm-hmm. the outcomes are not as good. But that choice is different, you know, in terms of talking to your boss or talking to your employer versus having that support network. So thank you so much for talking about that nuance and that Mm -hmm. difference between, you know, who your support network is, because you still, in that first year, you still had your support network. Yeah. And you don't owe anybody anything. You know, you um, don't owe anybody (laughs) anything. See, I'm not on mute. She's dropping knowledge. (laughs) Did you hear that? You're the one that has to take care of yourself and make sure that you're good. So yeah. when people are like, well, hey, they didn't tell me or they didn't include me. Why? They don't owe you anything. Well. If, you, if you're not one of those people that they feel that they can lean on for support, um, then oh, well, just get over it. Deal with all it. Of that. You know? All of that. Yes. Yes. So that's why I always tell, you know, people well. prioritize yourself. You know, I mean, self, self-care is not selfish. And you do not need to surround yourself with negative people just to placate them and, you know, appease them. You know, okay. if they're not giving you anything or filling your cup, bye. There's She's no killing me. Self-care <laughs> is not, not selfish. selfish. Okay. So first of all, for all the doctors on this little grid, self-care is not selfish. I'm yes. just saying we right. all... Like, I can't tell you, it's not even just about patients, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. this is something universal that is so important for us to hear. I mean, oh my goodness, I really want to jump up. I'm going to put my hands on my knees. She's speaking my language. That's why I'm not even (laughs) saying anything. I'm going to just nod until my head falls off. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, You can't give care to anybody else until you're good, you know? That's right. right. That's right. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. Like what you hear? Make sure you rate and subscribe. Three Black Dogs is available wherever you get your podcasts. You, you said something on the on on our last podcast about healthcare providers being gatekeepers. Mm, yes, mm, and I, <laughs> I wanted you to talk a little bit more about uh, physician-patient communication Mm -hmm. and what are some things that physicians can do Mm -hmm. to to communicate 
even, you know, the risk and prognosis while still, you know, delivering hope. And for some of, you know, our other providers that are listening, what are some things that they can do to check that unconscious bias? Right. Wait, wait, get your popcorn, y'all. We're about to go in. (laughs) I ate all my popcorn. Uh Uh-oh. So I think, you know, me personally, I do believe that um, we can't really change hearts and minds, right? So I actually am more impressed by data and accountability already embedded in the systems and structures that we have at these cancer centers that are dealing with people's lives, right? So I would implore um, these medical professionals, when you have a patient come to you and she happens to be a Black woman, right? And you see maybe that she has purple hair or blue hair or red hair or whatever, and you're making assumptions about who she is and she has some, maybe some tattoos or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, um, she's not really educated about her breast cancer. She's not going to be compliant at the clinical trial. Again, why does she have to be deserving of that care, right? I don't have to prove that I'm worthy in order for you to care for me. You see what I'm saying? I meet so many Black women that feel like they have to have like someone with them to show like I'm worthy that you're worthy of the care. Oh my goodness. Bump all that. So again, I say, you don't have to like me. You don't even have to, you know, um, be vouching for me or rooting for me or whatever, but you should Mm -hmm. be respecting me. You should ensure that I have the care. So that's why I say like, there has to be accountability in place because Mm -hmm. a lot of times they're just not aware of this bias, right? I've worked with um, cancer centers where they're like, oh, no, it's all good. We're, you know, nothing to see here, right? Okay, let's let's bear that out. Let's see the, what the data shows. How many days did it take? How many visits did it take yes. before that Black woman got that diagnostic workup? How, what were the delays as far as the in between that time as far as, you know, when they first presented with symptoms and visited the office versus when they got the ne- treatment and diagnostic mm-hmm. workup and all of that in comparison to your white patients, right? Mm. Start collecting the data. Just like with COVID-19, we want to see the data, right? Yep. Um, even with when it comes to pay equity, we're saying, you know, everybody's like, oh, no, we pay our male executives and female executives the same. Right. And then when we say, okay, show us the data, they're like, okay, we need to do some adjustments. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> so, so the challenge thing. is that the patients oftentimes get blamed, though, right? You already right. talked about the whole non-compliant thing. Yes. But where, and, where and can we stop road, using that word for the people yeah, who are listening? Right. Please well, stop using non-compliant. Very yes. judgmental. Stop. Yeah. Using I it. still think right. about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Stop it. But one of the things that I think the, they can, yeah. where the rubber meets the road is: Have you offered someone a clinical trial? Mm. You no, know, because there may and be. Why some, not? Right, exactly. Because so there may be some patient related issues. Maybe it's transportation. Maybe those social determinants of health are getting in the way of someone being able to come and get their follow up. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to clinical trials, you either offer it or you don't. And why didn't you? There you go. There should be an explanation for that. Litmus test. Litmus test. Yes. You know, and I hear all types of excuses, you know, oh, well, she's single. She's not going to have the support that she needs. Who the hell cares? Oh, well, we didn't offer the genomic testing or genetic testing. Why not? Oh, well, we just assumed she couldn't afford it. Why? <laughs> what, what is that assumption? I don't understand that. But it's the issue. I could care less about your racism, right? But when it starts impeding on my life, then we got a problem, right? So if you're functioning as a Don't let your racism impede on my life. Right. I could care I, less about your racism. Wow. I really can, if you think about it, because I love, I work at a predominantly Black organization. I feel like I work at Wakanda. 
You know what I mean? It's black excellence, <laughs> right? Um, most of the disparities work that I'm doing, I'm working with beautiful, intelligent, educated sisters like yourselves. Um, so again, your racism is your problem. You can go over there and have it, right? But when you start impeding on my life and then you're not going to give me access to a particular treatment that would be effective for me, we need to talk about that. Or if you're not going to give me access to that particular clinical trial or you're not going to approve of what I need to stay on that continuum of care. And also come to find out on average with the study that I was participating in in Philadelphia, on average, a, a patient has to see 17 individual support resources in order to get that full comprehensive care, right? But if I'm a white woman, I go to the cancer center, oh, it, it is offered, it is incorporated into my care. I don't have to chase anybody down or anything, right? Wow. So we want that to be standard of care for black people as well. And that's why I say there has to be that accountability there. We just have to, I find that they're more receptive to it if we um, ensure that there are incentives, like financial incentives in there to reduce those disparities and also characterize it as quality improvement versus, you know, you guys have a problem and you needed to get it together. But however you take it, we need to improve a lot of these systems and structures so that we don't have these folks functioning as gatekeepers. It's like, I come yeah. to you, I'm telling you, I might be 35, 36, I feel a lump. Oh, well, you're too young for breast cancer. Says who? Mm. You haven't even yeah. done the mm. work up for my, um, you know, family history or any of that. Mm -hmm. Prove it. Prove mm -hmm. that I don't have breast cancer. How about that? Yeah, how about that? Me away, how you know? about that? And so part of the challenge is a lot of this is is really rooted in structural racism, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there's there's a lot of eye roll that happens when you right. start talking about looking at disparities. Um, I don't know, you know, but it is indicative. It is the whole reason why we're, we have yeah. these issues in the first yes. place. And it's a shame that you have to couch it as a, Q, a QI or a QA, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, it should just be, you know, a moral imperative that right. people but get we're not going to change the hearts and minds. I understand. Yeah. So, yes, we always have to speak a different language. But I tell you, I'm getting tired of that, too, right? Yeah. Why should we have to speak a business case? Why should there right. have to be a business model for the importance mm -hmm. of workforce diversity or anti-Black mm -hmm. racism when it should be just the right thing to do. And actually, it, it's um, it's better for the bottom line, actually. Oh, well, we know that. But that's the <laughs> argument that I've had to say on the policy mm -hmm. level over and over again. Right. When I'm talking about, and I'm talking about institutional policy. So when yeah. I go to institutions and talk about this is literally just better for the bottom line. If mm -hmm. we can get people into care, get them into care on time, you know, early even, we can actually, you know, reduce, reduce cost. our cost. Yes. Right? But that shouldn't be the only impetus. Yeah. That shouldn't right. be the only thing that matters. But, our Black lives matter. But I understand in America, our structure being a capitalist society, it is always about there's that white grievance, there's that, okay, well, if these folks are getting support and resources that they normally didn't get, and they're now being offered to them, it triggers something where some white people think, well, now I'm going to, I'm going to have less. If this person now has more. Like it's a zero sum game. Right. I'm going to have less. But actually, that's not the case. It actually beneficial to everybody. Yes. To and there's point. data that shows that. Right. So to your point about data, there are yeah. studies that yeah. show when there are efforts made to improve the status mm -hmm. of a particular group, doesn't yeah. matter, black, brown, whatever, mm -hmm. that the level improves for yes. everyone across the board. Exactly. Data. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A rising tide lifts all. Mm -hmm. yeah. But, you know, it's right. just based off of what we're feeling in here, right? 
Um, and yeah. so again, that's why yeah. I said we kind of yeah. just have to disrupt the systems and disrupt the structure because if we're just waiting, you know, on that 50-50 shot that I happen to go to a white doctor and they see me and who knows if they believe that I'm worthy or not, you know, they don't know mm-hmm. me. I'm just, you know, I'm here. Um, I need care. Are they going to really go to bat for me like they do with their white patients or not? So, so let's talk about that. How did you select your doctor? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, I researched, um, you know, she researched, were, okay. Yeah. I re- <laughs> <laughs> you know, who are the strongest, you know, the ones that are the doctors that are, um, you know, directing policy in a sense and directing, you know, what the standard of care is. So who are those doctors in my immediate area in Philadelphia and who has the best, you know, survival rates and care in Philadelphia. So that's how I ended up selecting my doctor and did get, you know, one, you know, treatment protocol to say, okay, this is what we would like to do. And then saw, you know, with um, my second opinion, oh, okay, this is what you would like to do. And then really had to look up those cancer journals, right? And look up to see, okay, which one actually has the best outcome, which is evidence-based. And so that's what made me say, I want to get to that no evidence of disease, what is the protocol that would be the most effective for me? And then even looking at West African women and seeing what treatment worked for them with their metastatic de novo breast cancer. And that's mm-hmm. what I decided to go with. Yeah, but and so you know, did- most people aren't going to be able to do that. So what resources are there for patients, you know, who may not be able to do that on their own? Well, I say utilize these helplines. So Metaviver has um, peer-to-peer support. Um, Living Beyond Breast Cancer has a helpline that is there to answer whatever question you have. And they can even talk through, you know, some of these like, well, this one or that one, I don't know, (laughs) you know, and what questions you may have and everything. And Susan G. Coleman has a great helpline as well, where you can call them and they can guide you through all those different clinical trial questions and treatment options and things like that. Use those helplines. But I also say that, um, you know, we have to, I always feel like pharma companies, right, right now, they have all these different clinical trials all over the place, right? And they have like community, uh, well, they have hospitals that kind of buy in to stay within the same protocol. And they're, you know, you have clinical trials, one clinical trial that is in multiple locations, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we can have more clinical trials in the immediate community that folks can access where mm-hmm. less travel and mm-hmm. less burden you know, um, and really it's capacity building, right? At these local community centers. Yes. I think we should, that should totally be the next, um, you know. Yeah, so there is a model that's called a just-in-time trial model where Mm -hmm. um, it's sort of the reverse. So it is instead of the drug company saying, we're going to go to, you know, the usual spots, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the big cancer centers and these sorts of things, right. actually like going to this, the community practices where the numbers are there, that mm-hmm. those patients are sitting there you yeah. know, in the community. And so it's activating the trial in the office when right. the patient has been identified mm-hmm. rather than setting up a trial at right. an office and it sits there and like no one ever gets identified. Right. right? So, yep. so there, that, that is a newer um, approach to mm-hmm. clinical trial design, which I also um, 
um, really support mm-hmm. and, you know, think yeah. it, it's a great way to, to get more clinical trials out to folks. Yeah. Um, and, they, so, and they are feasible. I was going to say, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a community oncologist. Yeah, yeah they're feasible. And, but- and it's, it's very feasible. We have a research nurse. We have mm-hmm. everything, PK testing, the whole thing. Right. Yeah you know, can be done. So, but it's um, you identifying the patient and then getting that trial activated yes. quickly at your site to get right. that patient on. Mm-hmm. That's the, right. That's the right. I'm, I'm just saying time. that, you know, community, yeah. you know, those, yeah. those yes. you know, between yes. the two, it mm-hmm. really should. So I would like but to even there, there are a lot more of that. Yeah, yeah, and there absolutely. are initiatives. The American Society of Clinical Oncology has partnered actually with the Association of Community Cancer Centers mm-hmm. to really figure right. out how we can do a better job at right. bringing clinical trials to the community mm-hmm. where people are, particularly people of color. So yeah. you're right on right. track, Mill. Yeah, absolutely. So we only have a few minutes left. We do want to get to, you know, really, <laughs> really why you're on. Yes, yes. And that is to talk about the Living Beyond Breast Cancer Symposium, which is coming up in October. And we were so excited to be invited to participate in that. Thank you for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, so tell us about it. Um, What do you want the people to know? Give us the dates. Who's participating? Give us all the info. So this is really for Black people. Black people with breast cancer. Um, You know, we have unique challenges when it comes to um, breast cancer. I do believe that black breast cancer is its own, you know, animal, its own specific subtype. So this is going to give you information and education to make sure that you can stay on that solid, optimal continuum of care and be empowered with all the information that you need to make sure that you're you can ensure that you're getting the best breast cancer care possible. Mm -hmm. So it begins, it's virtual sessions. Um, If you register, you get the pre-recorded interview with three black docs with Breast Cancer 101, which is very important. And then it will take place um, each Thursday, 7 p.m. beginning on October 1st. And so it'll break down in different categories, various workshops for um, you to take part in, and you'll really be more knowledgeable about um, breast cancer, how it affects you, what different things that you have to keep in mind um, as far as those unique challenges when it comes to um, having breast cancer and, you know, being Black. And um, the last, uh, there's um, also one session that is on Saturday, October 24th at 3 p.m. So it's a little different than the um, October 1st, October 8th, and October 15th at 7 p.m., but, and then the final session is really about wellness, wisdom, um, and really taking all this information, having a culminating event and sharing our stories and restoring our souls. In a Wonderful. Yes. And Wonderful. is there any cost for registration? Yeah. No. Zero. Free. This free. is free. So any Black person free. with breast free. cancer can register for free? Yes. For wow. Men free. too, black men too, or just is it yes, just women? black men? Black, black men, men or black women with yes. breast cancer can attend mm-hmm. this free, free virtually. Yes, for uh, every uh-huh. Saturday in October. Yes, free. Well, every Thursday it starts October. 1st, oh, sorry, Thursday, seven p.m. And then there's October eighth, seven p.m. October fifteenth, seven p.m. October twenty fourth, which is the Saturday at three p.m. Okay. And then the final session will be the one where it's on that Sunday. Free ninety nine, y'all. Free. 
<laughs> do you have anything for um, support for family or caregivers? Caregivers can attend to. And we'll caregivers start. can attend to. Yes. <laughs> okay. So anybody information. with breast cancer or their caregivers can yes. attend. Free. Mm -hmm. Free. Free 99. Free, free, free. Free 99. You know, wonderful. this is really important. And I just applaud yeah. you for putting wonderful. this together. Yes. Um, it, we look forward. We're so happy that we had the opportunity to participate. Yes. And um, I really thank you for giving us your time. I yes. Mean, you were um, a phenomenal woman. Yes. And oh, I you. am so happy that I got the chance to meet you. Me I, I really I'm odd. I'm odd. I well, I definitely awe. feel like I'm going to reach out to you guys all the time. Please, <laughs> anytime. <laughs> with all the work anytime. that I've done. You know, know I am just a patient, but I always say with um, breast no. cancer advocates, don't ever question what you can do because this right. started with me just calling Jean, who's the CEO of Living Beyond Breast Cancer, on the phone and saying, you know what? I'm tired of people talking about that breast cancer is bad. And it's really, really bad for black women. Let's do an do event something. and Let's do something, you know, and change, you know, yes. the trajectory. So I'm really, really excited. Well, well wow. you. I think that, I mean, that says it all. Thank mm -hmm. you so much. We look forward to working with you in the future. Yay. Let us know whatever you need. <laughs> all right. um, we'll be happy to, to work. Yeah. With Thank you. you. Remember you said that. Three Black Dots is not intended as medical advice. All opinions are our own. Three Black Dots is produced by Wings Productions. Like what you hear? Make sure you rate and subscribe. Three Black Dots is available wherever you get your podcasts.